Hi, folks. Welcome into the Data Drip Podcast. I'm Kelly Koleffel, your host. Every other week, we're going to bring you insightful interviews with some of the brightest minds across the data community. We'll cover hot topics such as AI, ML, of course, Gen AI, enterprise data and analytics, various data workloads, use cases, data culture, and a lot more. Today, I am really pleased to be joined by Parag Shaw. He is the Senior Director of Data and Analytics at Rocket Software. He currently leads the company's data engineering, their data analytics, and master data management and data science teams. Parag has more than 15 years of experience building data teams across industries, specializing in modern data and BI stacks. Prior to Rocket, he spent time with both Staples and Bank of America in a number of capacities across engineering, compliance, and BI. Parag, welcome into the show. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I am looking forward. You and I saw each other a while back, and I would love to dive into Rocket Software's data journey, kind of sift through some of that hype around AI, ML, Gen AI. We're hearing about all the time now. Before we get into that, though, could you share a little bit about Rocket Software and your current role? Sure. So I've been at Rocket. It's actually coming up on four years now. We make modern software for legacy applications and legacy mainframes. We help companies now, we've moved towards helping companies scale and move towards that hybrid cloud architecture that more and more companies are moving towards. And as lo- as much as we talk about modern, there are a lot of mainframes still out in the market today. I mean, if you look at the Fortune 50 companies, I can guarantee you that at least 90% of them are running on mainframes. Well, you've got a varied background. What originally caught your interest with Rocket Software? When they reached out to me at Rocket Software, it was actually a really interesting conversation because what they essentially told me over the phone is, listen, Prague, if you can come in here and we can talk to you, we have this unique opportunity for you to have a blank slate and to start from scratch. And for someone like me, who is essentially a born change agent, it was music to my ears. So as soon as they said that, that hooked me. And I was in the I was in for an in-person interview. That's really unusual, especially for a company that's been around for a while to say, hey, here is a blank slate. Let's go get this done right. And where Rocket is as a company, over the years, a lot of acquisitions. And I think even during the time that you've been there, you and I talked about that a little bit. How does that impact? How does it influence how you think about your data program, delivering data products, delivering data services, maybe even how you select your technology stack and some of the process and approach that you go after? Yeah, it played a large role, right? Because when you think about when you're doing acquisitions, you're acquiring a lot of data. You're acquiring data from CRMs, from ERPs, from all these different systems that exist across all these organizations, big and small. So when you're doing an acquisition integration, first you acquire all the data, You analyze the data, and then you figure out how is that data going to fit into our CRM and our ERP. So what you really need to do is you need to build for scale, right? And you need to build for cost efficiency. And the way we look at cost efficiency is, for instance, having a distributed storage and compute, right? So you know where your dollars are being spent. And that's kind of what it is. That's how it influenced our decision. Okay, we're going to have a lot of different data sources. We need a lot of flexibility and we need scalability. 
Yeah, and I've been through an acquisition, and I think when most companies think about acquisitions and you think about the data integration challenge that it is, like you said, two different CRMs, two different ERPs, two different operational systems, usually there's a at least a one-year, maybe a two to two and a half, sometimes three-year window to get all of this data in to say, hey, we're finally a combined entity. Is that how Rocket thinks about it? No matter where you go, whatever organization you work for, when they do an acquisition, you're going to try to compress the timeline to achieve any sort of synergies that you may have. So I think understanding the timeline and staffing for the timeline is a big deal that Rocket's getting better and better at. I think what they're doing is they're learning from every acquisition. And I think that's the key. Do you feel like a modern approach to data gives you an advantage when you're incorporating and kind of combining in data sets from an acquisition into the overall Rocket portfolio? Absolutely, 100%. Prior to us having implemented a modern data stack at Rocket, it would take for a small acquisition anywhere from six, seven months to acquire the data. We did our largest acquisition at Rocket, I believe in 2021. We acquired all the data in two weeks. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> that's incredible. That was a direct result of the modern data stack that we implemented. Wow. Months to sometimes years down to weeks. Really, really incredible. You talk about modern data stack too and the impact on your acquisitions. I'm sure you'll be doing more of those. It's always this delicate balance, you know, should I build? Should I buy? Which way do I go? For what tool? What technology? How do you look at it as a data leader? How do you balance out that build versus buy decision? It's a good question. It's a tough question. When you're looking at build versus buy, in my opinion, it depends on your staffing and your budget, right? Because a lot of what it comes down to is what do you have for either operational budget versus capitalizable budget? And with the newer accounting rules that are out there, we're seeing that we can capitalize new capabilities projects, even if they're in the cloud. So it often used to be, all right, well, if we can build it on-prem, let's build it on-prem because we can capitalize the whole thing. But now we're able to actually buy and we're able to gain those efficiencies and get semi-managed services. And we can get our teams, the people that we have, our lean teams, to focus on more difficult and more rewarding tasks for the organization and for them. So that's kind of the approach that we're looking to take is when we're looking at build versus buy, What's our efficiency model? What's our staffing look like? What's our budget look like? And based on that, we can make an informed decision. Yeah, and I think as part of that, you alluded to this. Can we get differentiation? Is there a level of differentiation that we can get with a build? Or is there something we can buy today that kind of eliminates all the work associated with that? So I think to me, if you can, like you said, if I can take advantage of what I have today, if there is a, a measure of business differentiation that I need that I can't get from a buy decision, then that can play into it as well. Yeah, actually, let me give you a good example here. This is perfect, right? Because we did a build and we did a buy. When we were looking at master data management, right? We could have bought a tool off the shelf, right? We could have gone with one of the leaders in the MDM space. There's a lot of them. What we did was we decided to go with an open source tool and we decided to build in-house based on their framework. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to have a level of flexibility to add multiple product hierarchies, to be able to add different fields that we want to have on there and be able to sort things different way and be able to control the metadata. So highly customizable. So we built it. There was nothing that was out there that had the level of customization we were looking for. 
So we built. And here's our buy, right? It was Fivetrain. We decided we were going to buy a tool as opposed to trying to build it in-house. Do we want to go with let's build an enterprise service bus, let's use Kafka, let's use Hadoop, and let's go all in on it? Well, A, that would have cost way more than we spend on Fivetrain, right? So we have efficiency issues. And then it would have taken significantly more time to get spun up. And Fivetrain or, or someone like Fivetrain has done the work to create a bunch of connectors to data sources that we all use across the industry. So let's take advantage of the work that they did. I love the fact that you skipped over Hadoop land. <laughs> I try I to stay away. <laughs> I did, man. I, I took my lumps. I, I've got plenty of scars from Hadoop land. So three, four years, you know, you look out another 12 months, so much that's been done, but you can never sit still here. Where do you feel like you want to be this time next year in the next 12? I think my primary focus is going to be around that predictive AI. So I'm going to take you back to day one at Rocket Software where I sat down with the CIO at the time and with the VP of business applications. And I said, here's my three-year plan. I'm going to have us build the foundation so that within three years, we can have the data pipeline and the data architecture built for us to pursue advanced analytics, predictive analytics. So that was the goal. But now for the next 12 months, we had this little thing that popped up around April of this year that had a lot of buzz because I remember all day Sunday before the Super Bowl, I was in ChatGPT just asking it questions, trying to get it to be the Terminator. It's hard to find somebody that hasn't tried it out at this point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's great. It's a great tool, but it created so much buzz. And that buzz was both good and bad when I think about that because the buzz was great because it got people thinking of AI. The bad is that they were thinking only of generative AI, right? They were only thinking of the ChatGPT bard asking bots questions and how can you utilize that? And they were completely skipping over the operational efficiencies that come with predictive AI. And that's where we want to focus my team in the next 12 months is in that predictive AI space. Can you do, Parag, a quick compare contrast on I'm going to build a predictive analytics app or I'm going to build out a Gen AI app. How do I think about those differently to your point? When you think about predictive AI and predictive AI apps, you're looking at past data to predict future outcomes, right? So based on historical data that I have on a customer, based on all of the conversations that they've had with support, based on their buying patterns, based on what they've done over the however long they've been a customer, can we predict with a reasonable degree of accuracy and lead time, whether or not we think that they're going to churn and leave us within the next year, right? That's a predictive AI use case. That's an operational efficiency use case because it generally, studies have shown that it costs about 30% more to acquire a new customer than to retain one that already exists. So that's what I'm talking about when I say operational efficiencies. And now when you look at generative AI, you're looking at creating content. Right. There's a use case where you may have a predictive cross-sell, upsell model that tells a sales rep, okay, this customer you're talking to about product A, based on this customer size, based on what they do, and based on employees, their revenue, all of these different factors, we think that you should try to cross-sell product C and D to them as well. And now where generative AI could come in is it could essentially synthesize and create a script 
for that sales rep to read off of to help them cross-sell these other products to the potential customer. And that's kind of where I see generative AI having a huge use case when it comes to the sales cycle. But I also see use cases for generative AI in documenting code, right? Feed it all of my code where my guys don't have enough time to do documentation. Let it synthesize that code and spit out some English documentation. And then they just completed 80% of the most tedious task in development for you. Yeah, I, I agree. And you go, well, it wasn't 100. But man, if you can get 80% on something like that, that is a huge gain. So I'd ask that question about the next 12 months. So are you going down a predictive analytics path right now? Are you going down a Gen AI? Is it some sort of combo of that? And secondly, is there some pressure coming from either upstairs or from the grassroots saying, hey, let's go do some of these things? Yeah, there is. There is. There's a lot of pressure coming down saying, okay, how do we utilize large language models? How do we utilize generative AI? So from an operational standpoint, we're going to be looking more at predictive AI. How can we help our sales reps cross-sell, upsell? How can we predict customer churn? But we're a software company. We have software products. So the question is going to be, how do we build generative AI and chatbots into our products to make them more user-friendly, to make them have the ability to generate content when they need to generate content? So I think we're going to be taking a hybrid approach where in our product suite, we're going to be looking more at a little bit of both predictive AI and generative AI, but internally, we're going to focus a lot on the predictive AI piece. Yeah, love that. I think another dimension too, potentially from a product engineering standpoint is, can I use Gen AI to maybe build my new products better, faster, easier, more efficiently, right? So there's so many aspects to this. I love the example that you gave of really not diving in too deep, you know, take a step back. And I think anytime you do that, regardless of what that data workload is or the application, you want to have a solid business problem. And you talked about a couple that you felt like you were going to go after there. Anything else right now that you see, again, over the next year, year and a half that stands out to you from a business use case perspective? I generally move on a prove it kind of pattern, right? Where I'm going to go in, I'm going to prove the usefulness of what we can do. In some cases, I need to staff to prove it. But once I prove it, my staff grows, right? So that prove it mentality is something that's helped me be very successful in everything that I've really done in the data space, because I have ideas, I have modern data stack ideas, and we go out and we prove that we can reduce the time to acquire data by 92%, right? That's a huge reduction. So we get that prove it mentality. So what I want to do is I want to prove out that we can build this customer churn model, that we can build this cross-sell upsell model, and we can impact both revenue and retention, right? And if we can do that, I think what you'll see is come 2025, we'll want to invest in, say, maybe a propensity to buy model. Maybe we'll have some level of personalization for our customers that we want to implement using data science, AI, and ML. And that's kind of where we want to go is we want to get our stakeholders thinking about how can they benefit from predictive AI because they see the benefits to our sales organization and the benefits to our success organization. And if, as many times as you can have that prove it and then show those success metrics for your organization, I mean, that's going to help rocket, but it's also going to just continue to prove the value of, of the data team. And I think it's just, it's so critical. So often we're, you talk about hitting that 
crawl, run, oh, let's go build this, not even having any any success metrics really defined around it. Let's just go build something cool. So I, I really love that approach. A lot of data leaders that I talk to, there's all these different ways that maybe you go about leading a data team, building a data team. Everybody's got different qualities and characteristics that they're strong at or maybe weak at. What do you feel like, Parag, are the things that are most valuable to you and that you've seen over the course of your career that when you're leading a data team, these things stand out? Really important to have. I trust the people that I hire. And the reason I do that is because I hire experts and I let my experts be experts and tell me what they think about the field that they're an expert in. And that's who I trust. I trust the people that I've brought in to be my experts that when I ask them a question, I may not agree with what they respond with and I'll tell them that and then we'll have a dialogue and there will be times where I'll say, okay, I get it. Let's go with that. But there will be times where I say, you didn't convince me. Let's move down this path. And it's having that give and take with your team. And that builds a very strong team. It builds a sense of trust and a sense of loyalty. I can tell that you really enjoy this role that you're in. What do you enjoy the most? What gives you the most satisfaction about this role? The most satisfaction that I have is when people reach out to me and say, Parag, we need access to this thing you guys built. That is absolutely amazing because we've done things where we built something in hours. Somebody came to us with a request about our product hierarchy and needing more visibility. So we threw a dashboard around it, super detailed, just a tabular format, and it had a link to Salesforce to bring them directly to the product, gave them all this visibility. The next day, I had 70 people ask for access to that thing. So that to me is just extremely rewarding because you realize that what you've built, the architecture that you've put in place allowed us to A, turn that thing around in two minutes and B, has extreme value and impact across the organization. Oh man, I love that. I hesitate to ask this next. What's most difficult for you? What do you, you go, man, if I don't ever have to do that again, then that will be a good thing. Convince people that data governance is something they should care about. That is, and I think this will resonate with any data leader you talk to ever across the board, because there is a want to be able to do things yourself, to be able to self-serve with impunity, meaning taking data from a federated data set, taking data from a data set that you found on the internet and combining them together and coming up with insights. Now, all of those are well-intentioned, but that can create a very messy data governance issue across the board when you're doing things like that. So understanding that tooling is generally not a problem. Data is the problem. Ensure that you have a federated data set, that you use that data set properly, and that governance matters. That is a battle that I have no doubt I will fight until I retire. I'm going to go full stop on that question. I feel like we could spend an entire hour on that one topic alone. <laughs> totally. We've got a lot of folks that listen in that are in the same situation. Large enterprises, been around a long time, and really just now stepping in to modernize their approach to how they deliver that next generation of data outcomes. Any advice based on what you've done, what you've seen really work well that you'd like to give to somebody that's in that position? 
Yeah, I think the advice that I would give to somebody that's in that position, and this is something you've probably heard me say before, Kelly, is evaluate capabilities and not names. You want a company and a tool that focuses on what you're trying to solve. And you want a company or a tool that is going to innovate in that space. I quoted myself before, I'll quote myself again. If I want to buy an electric car, I'm going to buy a Tesla and I'm not going to buy a Ford because that's what they care most about. Prague, this has been outstanding. A lot of fun. I really, really appreciate you joining the show. I appreciate you having me. This was a fantastic experience. I'm going to keep all the updates going with Rocket Software. Thanks so much to everyone who listened in. We really appreciate each one of you. Please subscribe also to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it. You can also find us on YouTube. See you soon. 